feel like you have to be glad you're here today. Thank you all for participating in our parade. I thought that was awesome. Thank you all for joining us for worship today. Would you join me in a prayer for illumination? Lord, as we turn to your word, we ask that you would send your spirit upon us, that you would open our hearts to encounter you again and give us courage to follow wherever you lead. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Our scripture reading for today comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 21, and is the story of the parade we just reenacted. When Jesus and his disciples had come near Jerusalem and had reached Bethpage at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village ahead of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, just say this, The Lord needs them, and he will send them immediately. This took place to fulfill what had been spoken through the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Look, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did just as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put their cloaks on them, and Jesus sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went ahead of him and that followed were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest heaven! When he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was in turmoil, asking, Who is this? The crowds were saying, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Do you ever wonder what happens to the donkey in this story? I mean, it's a significant donkey. It has been prophesied 500 years ago that the king will enter Jerusalem riding on a donkey, which was God the Father putting Jesus in a bit of a bind. I mean, what if Jesus can't find a donkey? He needs to get into Jerusalem. He needs to get in there that day. And what if all the donkeys have been bought? Because it's the week before Passover in Jerusalem, which is tourist season. And Jesus needs to find a donkey and a colt. When Mike and I were planning our wedding, we chose the date as the week after we graduated. So we started calling hotels in town to put together a block for our wedding. Uh, and we first went to the Erdman Center, which is this little hotel on Princeton's campus. And they have a certain number of rooms for the seminary students. And they told us that uh, the weekend of our wedding was the weekend of Princeton University's graduation. And the university had booked all their rooms two years in advance, which is when the panic began. The first hotel I called actually laughed at me. They told me that the university had booked all their rooms the year before. We were rejected by every hotel and motel halfway to Philadelphia, which included the Red Roof Inn. (laughs) Everything books up in tourist season. We actually had to use a hotel in Pennsylvania. Maybe that's why the donkey Jesus finds isn't in Jerusalem. It's in some place called Bethpage. Because Jesus knows if he doesn't ride into Jerusalem on a donkey, he doesn't fulfill the prophecy. And if he doesn't fulfill the prophecy, 
then he isn't the Messiah. So he needs to find a donkey in Jerusalem in the middle of tourist season. Sure, it seemed like a good idea to God the Father 500 years ago, riding in on a donkey, that's a humble animal. So no arrogant Messiah wannabe is going to do that. But then maybe he got worried that someone would. So he made the prophecy even more elaborate. The king will enter Jerusalem riding on a donkey. No, 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 not just on a donkey, but on a donkey and on a colt, the child of a donkey. Which is also just weird because Jesus might be God, but the guy only has one rear end. How does he sit on two animals? But God adds the full into the prophecy anyway. So to fulfill this 500 and some year old prophecy, Jesus is sending two of his disciples to a guy in Bethpage telling him that the master needs his donkey. Seriously, needs it. And the colt. Because it's tourist season in Jerusalem and Jesus has to get there so that Judas can betray him and the Pharisees can convict him of a crime he didn't commit and then be too cowardly to actually kill him themselves and pawn it off on the government. It's a story you couldn't make up. Jesus, the Messiah of the world, the firstborn of all creation, is searching for a donkey and a colt that have to be related in the middle of Jerusalem, in the middle of tourist season, because God the Father decided it would be a good idea five centuries ago. Which almost makes you wonder if God the Father isn't playing a joke on his son, chuckling to himself as Jesus wanders around asking if anyone has a donkey and a colt. Regardless, Jesus eventually finds them, and he sends two of his disciples to take them and tells them only offer to explain if someone says, um, hey, you're stealing my donkey and my colt, and then just tell them the master needs them. All of this makes me wonder what happens to the donkey and the colt. They obviously get front row seats to the whole parade, the crowd yelling and cheering, the hosannas and the waving of songs and the laying down the coats. I do hope some of the crowd notice them enough. Someone feeds them an apple because they've been carrying Jesus how long through the heat. And I wonder if when someone got too close, the donkey let out an aggressive whatever noise donkeys make and tried to bite them. But the donkey and the colt, they carry Jesus into Jerusalem. They get front row seats. Hopefully they get a snack. But what happens to them next? We know what Jesus does next. He goes to the temple uh, by one way or another. He goes to the temple and he completely loses his cool. He flips over tables. He chews out some people for selling animals to sacrifice at outrageous prices. And I'm sure they're shouting back because that's what I would do if someone flipped over my table and started yelling about the house of God. And at this point, surely, if the donkey and colt haven't already wandered away, all the screaming and the flying coins and the hunger and the desert heat, surely they've wandered off down some side street in Jerusalem. All of which matters because, look at it, these animals were never paid for. Jesus sent two disciples, and as they're grabbing the colt and the donkey, the owner runs out, and he asks why they're basically taking his car out of the driveway. And they say, the master needs it. Which is not enough for me to hand someone my keys, but is evidently enough for him. He says, go for it, and they leave with the donkey and the colt. But you know what the disciples don't say? They don't say they'll bring them back. They don't give the man an IOU signed by God the Father that he can cash in for the price of a donkey. They don't guarantee that he'll get another donkey and colts of equal or greater value 
if Jesus gets distracted and they wander away, do you think he ever gets them back? Do you think the guy ever gets his donkey and colt back? I'm wondering because in the end, we don't get a say in whatever God is doing. God has his mission. He had one then. Jesus was going to Jerusalem. And if this guy didn't give him the donkey and the colt, Jesus would have found another one. He was going to Jerusalem because it was the mission, forgiving the sins of the world. And God has his missions today, and we don't get a ton of say in what God is doing. God has the mission. What we get are these opportunities. Someone shows up outside your house, and they're untying your donkey and colt. You run outside because, well, that's stealing. And they say, the master needs them. That's the opportunity. It's the moment where God's mission requires something that you have. You have what God needs, so God asks for it. And our temptation is always to say, sure, I have a donkey, but it's my donkey. Can't you borrow someone else's? This guy is not a donkey farmer. It's not how he made his money. It's, it's, he, used the donkey to harvest his crops, to get into town, to carry things around. He used it for transportation. He's got another donkey on the way, this baby donkey. And Jesus asks for both, your present and your future transportation. Why wouldn't the guy say, can't you borrow someone else's donkey? I'm using mine. Some members of our church actually own livestock. And who knows, maybe someone has come to you saying, don't really know how else to explain this, but God needs your cow. If you've been there, I imagine that was a strange conversation and that it would be horribly inconvenient. For the rest of us, it looks a little different. I think it's how I feel whenever I'm on an airplane because I treasure my time on airplanes. It's my alone time. I put in my headphones, I have a book, and I zone in. But there are these people in the world People called extroverts. <laughs> you seem to think that an airplane is a time where someone else is trapped next to you and they can use this time to become your friend. Which is fine. Until they ask what I do for a living and then I sigh and I say that I'm a pastor. Which, more often than you would think, leads to an impromptu counseling session. <laughs> Or they're suddenly confessing that they haven't been to church in a long time. But here are the reasons. As though I, am, I know their pastor and I'm going to call them and explain. Or how the church has done them wrong and I'm suddenly trying to defend it. And it's frustrating. It's frustrating because I just wanted my book and my headphones. When I'm on an airplane, that's my time to not be a pastor. I just want to read. And I don't like it when God uses my time for his mission. I want to say, sure, I am a pastor. But this is my time. Can't you use somebody else's? I know you know what, I talk, what I'm talking about. I know you know what I'm talking about. We've just been recruiting volunteers for VBS, which means someone, and I won't name any names, but someone has been asking around for people to help lead children in a week of worship, education, and fun. And we know it's a temptation to say, yes, I am available that night, but it's my night. 
can't you borrow someone else's? And we have member care teams and liturgists. We have all these things, and we ask, and we know it's a temptation to say, yes, I could, but can't you borrow someone else's? But here's the thing. No, (laughs) not really. Partially because it's tourist season and everyone in the world is busy. But most basically, most concretely, no, we can't use somebody else's because God wants you to play a role in his mission. God wants you to play a role in the mission. I know you know what I'm talking about. Believe it or not, there are Sunday mornings where Micah and I roll out of bed and we look at each other and one of us says, Oh, want to send out an e-alert that church is canceled today due to excessive sunshine? Because it's my Sunday and I want to sleep in. Can't you borrow somebody else's? I know you feel that way sometimes. It's a little less conspicuous if you decide to take the Sunday off, so sometimes you do. Not because you disagree with the mission of the church. That's it, right? We don't disagree with the mission. It's just that this Sunday is mine. Can't you borrow someone else's? We've heard this, and you've heard this. For the ministries of the church, for our families, this is our room. Can't you borrow someone else's? This is uh, the thing that we care about. Can't you use someone else's? And I know everyone knows what I'm talking about when the donkey at hand is money. Even the church knows. People come in representing this ministry or that organization, and they say, we would so greatly appreciate your prayers and support, and it would really help us if you could write a check. And our reaction is always, hey, man, I'm sure God has given you an important mission in everything, but what do you think? Money just grows on trees here in Scottsboro? We're using ours. Can't you borrow someone else's? We feel the tension utilizing our own money. We feel the tension with the church's money. We all know this tension. Sure, I have it. But I'm using it. Can't you use someone else's? If money and time and energy, if it all just grew on trees, then it'd be no problem. But I've only got this much. I've only got the one donkey and the colt. So if it's all the same to you, it'd be great if God could just use somebody else's. What happens to the donkey in this story? On the one hand, it seems like the most irrelevant detail, except to the owner of the donkey and the colt. In the end, when God asks for something, we might not get it back. But when God needs something from us, it's for his mission. And isn't that an incredible opportunity? give of ourselves for the sake of God's mission? That's what the owner of the donkey and the colt did. He gave what he had, and he got to watch as the Messiah of the world rode into Jerusalem on his colt and his donkey. He watched as Jesus rode in on his donkey and got to play that part in the mission of God. In giving what he had, he participated in God's mission for the salvation of the world. God is coming. He'll be showing up in your lawn soon, asking for your donkey and the colts. 
probably with no more explanation than the master needs it. And in that moment, we know our temptation. Could you borrow someone else's? But I think our question is this. Don't you want to participate in God's mission too? Don't you want to see Jesus riding in on your donkey? Don't you? Let's pray. Lord, we confess that we believe in your mission. We believe in the way you are trying to save the world. We believe in your work. But we hesitate when you ask us to participate. Lord, soften our hearts and give us courage to give you what we have. And give us an excitement for your kingdom that lets us do so joyfully. We pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen.